Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm your host, Carl Schulteis. UMGA-TV is continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who live the history of the township to tell us about that history. This edition features Bob Gray. Bob tells us about moving to King of Prussia and attending the old Upper Marion High School, now called the Marion Building. As well, he tells us about his activities involving the King of Prussia Indians for over the past 25 years. Let's sit back and listen to Bob remember when. Bob, thanks for coming by and seeing us today. Appreciate your taking your time out to uh, visit us on this uh, hot June day here today. Uh, <clears throat> I'd like to go back and just talk about some of your early years here in uh, King of Prussia. And I understand that uh, you moved from uh, Overbrook Park or Overbrook Hills area mm -hmm. to this area? Over, the Overbrook section of West Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And uh, your family moved out here at that time? And how old were you at that time? Uh, I was about 14. 14? Mm -hmm. And uh, when you moved uh, into the area, uh, what was the reason why you uh, decided to come out in this area? Well, my father was a, uh, an agent for Prudential Insurance Company, and we were living down a city, and he had moved out here to take a new, uh, well, not a new job, but a new area, because an, op an opening had come up in the Norristown area for a new debit. And so he had taken this, he figured, well, if he has to come up to Norristown all the time, we were living in Philadelphia, why not move up here? Right. So we were living in uh, West Philadelphia then. Uh, and at that time, our house was a row house, but it was owned by a realtor. In fact, we used to pay to the rent to the realtor's office. Every month we would walk up for, to pay the rent. And he had told us, he said, you go out to King of Prussia, since you're going to be out there, he says, uh, take a ride around. He said, if you have a couple of hundred dollars, not a couple of thousand, just a couple of hundred dollars, take a look and buy some property out in that area. So one Sunday afternoon, we took a ride, which uh, was the thing Sunday afternoon, you get in the car, take a ride someplace. That was a big thing to kill a Sunday afternoon down here then. So we come up, rode around, and all we could see was cows, corn, pastures, fields, very, very little, uh, industry or housing, you know, King of Prussia was just a little small community then. And we went back to the realtor a month later, and my pop says to her, he says, what the heck do I want to go out there for? There's not a darn thing out there. <laughs> well, back in 1950, there wasn't a whole lot in King of Prussia. And it ended up that uh, my father took the job in Norristown, and uh, my parents put a down payment on a house in Brandywine Village. And uh, well, they lived there for 51 years until they both passed away a few years ago. So they were original owners in the township. There's a little development. There's a, a lot of young families back then. So there were a lot of kids around to play with because it was a younger generation at that time. But, uh, it, was, it was a little bit different than being in a city. It was not quite the same as living in a city. It was more rural, more rural type. And there was a little bit more freedom places to go but there wasn't really a whole lot because Brandywine at that time was the only development in the township as far as the, the construction that went on with all these developments later on. Brandywine was the first one. But, uh, it was a little bit different. It was getting used to get out off the sidewalks in the streets in the city and you're out in the country now. It was a little bit different. Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to a grade school in Philadelphia until mm -hmm. we moved out. And then I, uh, 1951, I started uh, in the Upper Marion school system, the old Upper Marion High School, which is now the Marion building. I, I went from ninth through 12th grade up in the old Upper Marion High School building. 
graduated in 1955. Remember any of your teachers from the Upper Marion? Well, I can remember, but uh, I don't think any, any of them around anymore. <laughs> in fact, uh, our principal, Bob Strine, at that time, he had just passed away about six months ago down in Florida, and he was, I think, 97 or 98 years old. But I can remember him as a principal at the time that I was in there. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see any of the old teachers anymore now. The only one I think is still around that uh, was back in the time that I was there might have been Bob Mitchell. He's right. Henderson Road by the farm. Right. I think he's still alive. That's uh, right. Other than that, I think the rest of them are probably all gone. And uh, you play any sports when you're in high school? I played a little bit of football, a little bit of baseball, but mm -hmm. I didn't star much on him because I was only a six foot gangly, 140 pound <laughs> kid. So right. I wasn't the, the big uh, jock on campus type, so to say. But I did play ball in school did for a couple of years. What other activities did you do? Uh, well, I was in the Boy Scouts there. We used to meet at the uh, old township building, which no longer exists because there's a bank on the corner now at the uh, Allendale and 202. The old township building used to be there. We used to meet on the second floor or had our Boy Scout meetings every Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. Remember the troop number? King of Prussia, number one. Number one. Okay. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist anymore. Does no, it does not. Days? No. Who no. was your scoutmaster? A fellow named uh, Woody Johnson. He worked for uh, Container Corporation in uh, Maniac, I guess it was. He was our scoutmaster. Uh -huh. Big troop? Small troop? Uh, it was relatively small compared to some of the troops you had now. I think we had a total of maybe 20, 25 kids that's, altogether. Yeah, that's pretty good size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is it? Did you go camping? Yes. Where'd yes. you go camping? Uh, well, Valley Forge anytime, because that was right next door. We used right. to go up to French Creek and uh, Camp Delmont. Uh, mm -hmm. which was a like a regional camp for the scouts. Right. We, we would camp there too. Mm -hmm. Just several different places where everybody had a campsites and wooded areas. Yeah, how many years were you with the scouts? Oof. About four, I think. About four? Mm -hmm. Any other activities that you were involved in? Church, what have you? In, uh, in the, when you were in school? No, not so much as a mm -hmm. church. I went, I went to church, attended church, but right. I didn't. It wasn't involved in a lot of functions or activities. Um, the, the King of Prussia, uh, where'd you go shopping at that time when you were in school? Uh, well, at that time, you know, the biggest shopping area was in Norristown. I mean, you had all the stores on Main Street and then the West End Shopping Center on Marshall Street. Mm -hmm. Every Friday night, there was a big thing in, in the neighborhoods. Everybody went to Norristown for shopping. And How'd far, you get there? Well, you could walk or drive. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and uh, the uh, so, so you went over there shopping. Is it was it a family fair? Yes, pretty much. Yes. Okay. Then groceries. We went to an Acme uh, at uh, way up the west end of Main Street. There, uh, or up around Forest Avenue. Mm -hmm. Up there, there was a big Acme up there. Now it's a, I think now it's an equipment rental place or something in there now. But at one time it was an Acme. Mm -hmm. We used to go in there, or, or also over in Wayne, because there was another one over in Wayne. So we used to go between the two. For Not much locally here in King of Prussia. No. Uh, the, the, the first uh, store I could actually remember in King of Prussia, more of a Mon type store, was uh, built and run by Dominic Pascal. And it was, uh, the building itself isn't there now, but uh, it's set where the Mattress Giant building is now on 202. Behind that, was his house on the second floor, and he had like a Ma and Pa grocery store down on the first level. Mm -hmm. And next door to that was the post office. 
It was a little two-room building. The front, Mrs. Lillian Armstrong was the postmistress. She had her post office in the front and a little, like an efficiency type apartment type uh, thing in the back and everybody got their mail there until they uh, started delivering out of Bridgeport and then they eventually built a big post office in King of Prussia. Uh, 202 was a two-lane highway at that time? 202 was a two-lane highway, pretty much underneath where the main, the big 202 is now. Mm. But there wasn't that much traffic, not, not, nothing ungodly mm. like it is now. <laughs> no because problem, you could have, back in 1951, you could have shot a cannon down 202 at 9 o'clock at night and hit nothing. <laughs> <laughs> or nobody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. The... Uh, what did you do for entertainment, movies, things like that? Uh, well, there were uh, three or four movies in Norristown at mm -hmm. that time. Uh, there weren't any of the, the movies in King of Prussia, none of those movies that, uh, well, the king is gone, the queen is gone, now they have the big complex up on the hill. None mm -hmm. of that existed there as far as movies. You had to go to Wayne or Norristown or well, down on the main line, uh, Rad, uh, not Radnor, but Ardmore, Bryn Mawr. And, uh, along the main line, there were several movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, really, Norristown was the hub at that time. As no, far yes, as Norristown was was the hub. Yes. Right. What about Bridgeport? Did that was that a, a very active, much activity in that area? Because that uh, certainly was more developed than King of Prussia. Mm, well, there were a few things in Bridgeport, but the, the uh, but actually, Norristown was the uh, major, uh, the hub, so right. to say. Your family owned a car. Yes. What kind of car was it? Uh, the first car we had uh, when we moved here was a uh, 49 Nash, which right. they used to call an inverted bathtub because I had that big slope in the back, looked right. like a turned over yeah. bathtub. Right. And then we got, uh, I think after that, a couple of years later, we had a 1954 Chevy, which I uh, actually learned to drive on that vehicle because my father's debit when he moved out here, he had part of it in Norristown and he had about half of Upper Marion. That his, debit that he collected went all the way from Henderson Road clear to uh, what they called New Centerville, but New Centerville it was the name of the area where the Valley Forge Music Fair was. Now hmm. it's a Wayne address right. or a Devon address, but at that time that area was called New Centerville. It went clear to the Valley Forge Music Fair, all the farms each side of that into the park. And okay. uh, he had this couple of the developments in Brandywine and you also had six or eight streets in Norristown that he collected from. So and I the, used to drive him around right. as he was training for me, but it was also serving his purpose while he collected his debit. Right. Explain to explain to us what you mean by collecting a debit and how insurance was uh, okay. dealt with at that time. Uh, well, it's a lot different now because every lot of it between what they do on the internets and what they mail in, they used to have collection agents that actually went house to house, collected the policy premiums, and they had a big book. He'd mark it all down and everything. Then at the end of the week, He'd have to do his account, which is what they called A's and A's, advances and arrears or something. He had to balance out all his cash and turn it in. And there was a lot of paperwork involved in it because I, I used to learn to do a lot of arithmetic because he'd do the recitation and I'd go down and then you had to add the pluses and the minuses and balance his account out and all that stuff. But they used to drive around uh, actually house to house and collect the uh, what, he, what was called a debit. Mm -hmm. Your typical debit might be how much? A couple uh, dollars, three dollars, five. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean the, pre the yeah. policy premium, right. the, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was a couple of bucks here and there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because we used to go some of these places that had in, in the farms, 
and they would just leave the money on the kitchen table. They'd be out in the field or in the, the property doing something, saying, Mr. Gray, your money's on the kitchen mm -hmm. table. Okay. Get a cup of coffee while you're in there or something. <laughs> I mean, it was a very casual type thing. He'd go in and get his money, mark his book, see you next month, and down, we'd go on down to the next one. Uh, rather for informal, relaxed, but, yes. uh, and a lot of trust involved there. Oh, uh, yes, yes. And a lot of uh, hand paperwork that... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it was but, all pencil pushing. You didn't have the computers in the pocket, calculators and uh, all that kind of stuff. stuff. Well, I graduated high school the 4th of June, 1955. The 14th of June, 10 days later, I was in boot camp down in Bainbridge, Maryland, okay. in the U.S. Navy. Because okay. I had already had gotten the paperwork and all that done because I figured, well, why get a job, get myself situated? Because Korea had just ended and Vietnam had not really got cooked up not too well. I might as well go in and get it done and get it over with. So all I had to do was get down, raise my hand, get sworn in, take a physical, show up boot camp. All right. So uh, where were you stationed when, uh, in the Navy? Well, I went to uh, boot camp in Bainbridge. Then I had two weeks leave. Then I went back to uh, communication school at Bainbridge, in another section of the training center, the school, what they called the school area mm -hmm. for communications, teletype, high-speed relay, different phases of communication. And then from there, I went down to a uh, auxiliary naval air station in, Ch in uh, Chase Field in Beeville, Texas, which is down the lower end between San Antonio and Corpus Christi. I spent uh, about, about a year down there. Then I went home for leave. Then from there, I went up to Kodiak, Alaska. But the Kodiak at that time was not, or Alaska rather at that time was not a state, it was a territory. So it was considered, as far as the Navy was concerned, as sea duty or offshore duty, or foreign duty because of not being any actual uh, contingent states or anything. So I spent 19 months up in Kodiak uh, in a naval communication station. And Kodiak is actually one of the, the first island, if you picture the Aleutian chain going over toward Russia, Kodiak is the most easterly islands, not on the mainland, there was a big Navy base there. And then from there, I went down to, uh, to Vallejo, California. I was stationed on a uh, submarine tender. Mm -hmm. then, then I got discharged Six. from there. All right, so you spent how many years then? Well, I spent actually three and a half in active service. And then I had four and a half in reserve because the obligated amount of service at that time was eight years, combined a year active and inactive and reserve, whatever. So it was three and a half active and four and a half, what they call standby reserve or ready reserve. Mm -hmm. But luck would have it, I didn't get called because I, I never got to Vietnam or yes. any of those other places that were right. going on there at that time. Right. So after three and a half years of, of duty, you came back home? Yes. The King of Prussia. Mm -hmm. And what did you do at that time? Well, my first job when I got uh, out of the service, I was working for Abe Martin in a uh, engineering company. Abe Martin at that time was the Upper Main Township engineer. I was doing what they call rod and chain. If anybody's familiar with uh, surveying the rod and chain, mm -hmm. the, the, the bul uh, bulwark kind right. of stuff, the thing. I didn't do the gun, the uh, all the technical part of it. I was the, the gopher bulwark thing. Okay. I worked about six months for that, and then I went to work for the Pennsylvania Railroad. I had put applications in for different for the airlines and the railroads because of the communications that I had had in the service. So I just followed up. I said, well, get into some communication for some other company. Then I got a call from the Pennsylvania Railroad and worked for them, Penn Central, 
and Conrail for the next 38 and a half years. And this is on the background of your Navy experiences? Yes, pretty much, yes. The work I did for the railroad is mostly what I learned in the Navy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And was this, what areas were you involved with as far as that was concerned? Uh, as far as working for the railroad, uh, I guess about half of it was over in Plymouth Township, uh, right off Belvoir Road in a freight yard. Right. But it was a lot of night work and stuff, but uh, I didn't mind that because I liked it because I got weekends off, I got holidays off, and it, it was a midnight shift, a graveyard shift. But the relief days were good, and I got all that other time off, so I just tolerated it. I spent about 17 years on that third shift doing that. And then mm -hmm. I worked uh, Thorndale for a while, which is out between uh, Downingtown and Coatesville, Lansdale, Norristown. Then I ended up, the last 10 years of service, I was down in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> during this time, um, you met Roseanne, your wife? Uh, no, I had... Um, Met her, I was on the railroad uh, oh, only just a few years, I guess, when, when I actually met her. Mm -hmm. I started mean? the railroad in 60, and I think I met her around to 68, 69, I guess, mm -hmm. as far as us yeah. Yeah. Uh, dating and going together. But I had known her before because she worked in an office where my brother was working. That's I originally met her through my brother because she was the secretary in an office where my brother was mm -hmm. working. How about, well, about what time, about what year was that? Oh, late 60s, I guess, late 67, 68, eight, maybe, eight, somewhere along, uh -huh. I'm not sure exactly the year, but six, somewhere along there, and then we got married in 1972. All right, so where, where did Roseanne uh, originate from? Well, she was from the King Manor section of Upper Marion, right. off of Glenwood Road. Okay, and uh, where did she go to school? Well, she went to the Catholic system at the Lord Lady of Mount Carmel, and then uh, she went to high school at uh, Bishop Kenrick. Mm -hmm. All right. And um, so you were married, did you said in 72? Yes. That was the time? Right. January 14th, 1972. And where were you married? At the, her church. Yeah. What yes. was that? At the Lady of Mount Carmel. Well, Lady of Mount Carmel. Mm -hmm. And um, I understand Roseanne's very, very active at the at the Lady of Mount Carmel. Well, she's been with the, well, she, that's her original parish, and she's been quite active there. She has been doing a CCD mm -hmm. for classes for the last 22 or 23 years, teaching first grade every Sunday. And there's she and all of the I, and even some of her relatives uh, work the feast that they, they have every year too. They have an annual feast the second uh, weekend in January. And we usually spend a full three days there working a stand or concession stand for them. So she's pretty active. And so after you're married, where'd you move to? Where'd you live at that time? Uh, in Valley Forge Homes, or Powderhorn Road in Valley Forge yes. Homes. Well, you were living in Brandywine Village until you well, got married? Yes. yes. And then you married, married, moved to Valley Forge Homes. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about Valley Forge Homes. Uh, was that a new home when you moved into it, or was it uh, uh, previously built? Uh, it was previously built. Uh, the house we live in now was built in 1951. So, mm -hmm. but it, uh, we were not the original owners. Mm -hmm. it, it was mm, maybe 10 years old, I guess, or right. eight, 10 years old when we got, we moved into it. Yeah. What were some of the other developments in King of Prussia at that time? Well, you had Brandywine Village was first, then Valley Forge Homes, and then Candlebrook section. The sex, Candlebrook was built in like three sections. And then you had Cinnamon Hill, Hidden Valley, and uh, Dartmouth Hills. 
all these developments going down Henderson toward the farm mm -hmm. and then eventually up to the freight yard there along the river. So there's, uh, after, uh, I guess around 63, or no, wait a minute, I'm a little bit ahead of myself here. Around uh, 53, 1953, they built the Valley Ford Shopping Center. And that was actually the first commercial uh, area in the area as far as having stores and uh, they had a movie theater in there, the bowling alley where Pepper's is now. Originally that building was a bowling alley. Then it was a movie theater and now it's Pepper's restaurant. Walt Perry had a store in there where Michael's is now. It was a single unit store and then it was a double unit store. And then Walt Perry moved out, Michael bought it. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big complex now, I mean, if, you, if you're familiar with Michael's Delicatessen. That was, a, that was the original, so to say, hangout for the kids. Right. Either in the bowling alley or across the street in Michael's drinking coffee or whatever. You know, yeah. That was the hangout. It was the meeting place for everything went from there as far as what teenagers did, you know, where they met and all. Can you remember any other stores in the Valley Ford Shopping Center at that time? Uh, yes. There was an, uh, an A&P where Michael's uh, uh, craft the store, not Michael's Deli, but the other Michael's, right. Michael's Craft was an A&P in there. There was a five and 10 cent store, which is now part of Michael's Deli. The barber shop was there, Armando's barber shop. Uh, across the street was George Beck's real estate up on the second floor. Then uh, around the corner, the dry, uh, where the uh, laundromat is, that's been there for quite a while. And there used to be a bar on the corner where Marion's Attic is now, it used to be the uh, clothing rehab mm -hmm. place right. with the, run by the Cancer Society. Mm -hmm. That was the, originally called the Inn, right. but it was handy to the bowling alley because they got quite a bit of business from the bowling alley. It was right. a place called the Inn. Then that moved across the street and then eventually uh, Franny Vermonti and Sal Bello bought it out and turned it in to Peppers. Right. And then they moved across the street. Uh, there was a grant store in there. Uh, Remember what happened at the grain store? Yeah, they had a huge fire there. Back Do you remember years what ago. year that was? Oh man, I don't remember. Uh, I, no. I I can't remember, but I do remember the, the big fire. That right. they had. I can't remember it either, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, it, it it was the big news as far as uh, Upper Marion was concerned at that time. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty newsworthy thing at the time. Right. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. fire. Yeah. So. You were you were shopping then in the Valley Ford Shopping Center, but and uh, and you and Roseanne, uh, you have a daughter named Cynthia, right? Yes. And uh, understand she was a cheerleader, and you won an award for that cheerleading. Yes, and tell us about Cindy and the okay, and, well, and the cheerleader in, uh, in the in the King of Prussia Indians. Uh, in uh, 1982, we saw an ad someplace or somebody done exactly how it started. My daughter said, "Well, she wanted to try the cheerleading with the King of Prussia Indians football." But the, well, the Indians had actually started in 1956, but this was in 82, so they had been in operation for a while. So my daughter was a cheerleader from 82 to uh, 1987. And then for two years after that, she was like, we call, I guess, uh, a squad captain or some mm -hmm. squad leader. And then she graduated high school and went off, got married and did her own thing there. And I just stayed on because at the time, I figured, well, why don't I just hang around at the practices and all that? I figured, well, I'll do something. So I was helping out 
George Rossi do equipment and grounds and stuff. And she moved on. I've been there for 25 years, still there with the Indians. And you won an award at that time, uh, in 1991, I think that was uh, the year. 1991, this, well, that would be this character. Right. Uh, caricature. Caricature, yeah, right. The caricature that the, the cheerleaders gave me in 1991. Well, they, so, obviously they appreciate it. It's, it's uh, for Bob Gray with love from 1991 cheerleaders. Okay, well, you were well remembered. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm just a volunteer, like yeah. a lot of other people, but then volunteerism does have its rewards That's and kudos and accolades. And right. You do get appreciated for it. Okay. The, um, tell, us a little about the, what, uh, tell us a little about what you've been doing with the Indians. Well, I uh, actually by title of groundskeeper and equipment director, I take care of all the equipment, uniforms, and do a lot of the uh, purchasing and ordering. Mm -hmm. And also for the cheerleaders, I'm not in their command, so to right. say. They have their own staff as right. far as what they do. Mm -hmm. But I do store all their equipment and stuff, everything for them, take care of them, see what needs they need. And, uh, I do also do a lot of lining fields and maintenance type stuff, and minor maintenance, not what the parking sure. lot has to do, but the, just whatever our little needs are. And the, taking care of the equipment, storing it and getting it cleaned and rehabbed and whatever all has to be done with that. How many, uh, how many kids are involved in the King of Prussia Indians? Uh, it uh, varies because it goes along with our, what our registration is. We've had some years where we've had maybe 110 players with some years I've had 175, but they're broken down in age and weight brackets by teams. We've had as many as six teams and also as many as nine, depending on what the registrations are. And who do the King of Prussia Indians play? Uh, they are in a league with Philadelphia teams, uh, Bucks County teams, and Montgomery County teams. The league is made up of uh, 27 different associations. The King of Prussia Indians themselves are just one unit of that 28 uh, things, because there's like 4,000 kids, I guess, altogether involved between the Philadelphia Bucks and Montgomery County. We play, uh, well, teams in this area where we did play Bridgeport, but they're not in existence now. We play Conshohocken, Norristown, Lower Providence. Uh, and then we go into Bucks County with Willow Grove, uh, Warrington, Warminster, uh, Ben Salem. And there's uh, four or five teams down the city that are in, in, in that also. Overbrook and uh, Roxboro, uh, Wissahickon. I can't think of them all right now, but there's like 28 different associations. Right. And the, the league is broken down into uh, three different divisions, pretty much geographically the Philadelphia teams, the Bucksmont teams, or Bucks County teams, mm -hmm. and then the Montgomery County right. teams. And they do have playoffs and championships Chips. and all that kind of thing. Right. It's regular organized football. Right. And what age group does this involve? Well, we have age groups from five to six, which is uh, what they call flag football and then we have the different weight classes 55 65 75 90 105 it's it's in a grid by age and weight as they depending what their age and weight or which teams are on as far as they, how they fit in the grid mm -hmm. and what are the how old are the older oldest kids in the, uh, the oldest kids we have are 14 because once they turn 15 they're not eligible for the league anymore right. um, and then they have to go play school ball and uh, then they go, they're in middle school at that yeah, point. They, yeah, they're in middle school, school or high school, junior varsity or whatever. 
it's wherever they fall in there. So you've been involved with that organization for uh, since what year again? With well, that? well, the 1982 season. 1982 season. Mm-hmm. And you also won an award from the King of Prussia Indians for your for your work there. Yes. And uh, that was for the uh, 2004 series uh, season, I understand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a uh, presidential award that the along with some of the other awards that we give out, the president also has a few of his own special awards that he gives out too. All this for your volunteerism. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Also, the the Park and Rec Department is part of, certainly involved in the the football fields in the... the, uh, Yes, because we... uh, we are an independent association. We're not actually part of the park and rec, but we have to use their facilities because we use their fields and they maintain a lot of the work. We have to coordinate what they're doing with what we have as far as getting fields set up, maintaining fields, lining fields, and the availability of the fields because our fields are used quite a bit by us. Mother Divine Providence uh, CYO uses the fields. Mm-hmm. The Upper Marine Lacrosse uses our field, so it's a, the fields are getting a pretty much a, a constant turnover in usage there. A lot of usage. And we have to work with the park and rec as far as what we need from them, what they expect from us. And it's mm-hmm. a hand in hand thing. Yeah. What, uh, what, uh, the, uh, what type of budget are you dealing with as far as the King of Prussia Indians are concerned? Last year, our budget uh, was. Uh, just a little bit over about $100,000. You'd like to be a guest? Contact us at Upper Marion Township, 175 West Valley Forge Road, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, 19406. Or email us at info at umtownship.org. What type of budget are you dealing with as far as the King of Prussia Indians are concerned? Last year, our budget uh, was uh, just a little bit over about $100,000. But we have expenses and overhead that we have to pay, plus purchasing equipment. We have to pay our officials. We have to have uh, EMT coverage for our games. and There are registration fees we have to pay through the leg. I mean, so mm-hmm. we do have a little overhead that we have to cover. As far as uh, paying, the only people that get paid are the officials and the EMT, everybody else is volunteer. Mm-hmm. So $100,000, how do you raise $100,000 every year? Well, just different fundraisers that we have, and we have for concessions for our food and things, and we do get some grants here and there from the township and the state, and mm-hmm. so like that. But it's pretty much raised car washes and whatever, whatever kind of function we can get together to, to raise a few bucks here and there. You don't have a particular uh, signature uh, event that uh, for your big fundraising or anything? Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, the biggest uh, signature event, I guess, would say, would be our golf outing that we have every year up at the Jeffersonville. Okay. That draws quite a bit of people, and we make a pretty good sized uh, amount of money on that. You were awarded uh, in nineteen uh, in two thousand two, rather, for your Volunteer of the Year for the Upper Marion Rec, and. Uh, was it was that a specific year, or, or for just the for the years uh, that you put in for over the over time? Uh, it, it's not uh, pinpointed just to that one year, but uh, 
each year the Park and Rec picks a couple of people from, I guess, dozens that there are different uh, areas, including students, people that volunteer, their own employees and whatever. And it just happened that that year, I and a, and a girl, one of the students from Upper Main were picked that year. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. You certainly be applauded for uh, all your efforts here in the past. Thank you. The um, understanding you've come in contact with some interesting people with, with your work here, uh, including Coach Andy Reid. Tell us a little bit about the Okay, well, my, my association with Andy Reid started with his youngest son. He, well, he has five children, but the, his youngest son, Spencer, played for us because in the area where he lives, there were no youth organizations mm -hmm. that had organized football, and the closest one, I guess, was King of Prussia. Mm -hmm. So Spencer played three or four years with us, and we used to see Andy Reid every once in a while. Well, his whole family mm -hmm. did. But the, when he when he was available to do it because because of the time involved with the Eagles, I mean he did show up when he could. But the, everybody got to know him. I got to know him personally from talking with him a few times. And, and he signed a hat for me and he does autographs. I mean he, he's a very nice gentleman. Mm -hmm. He has never ever I have never ever seen him turn anybody down. And he comes, but he does not. Or. Uh, Advertise Eagles. I mean, he just comes in street clothes. He's not. Right. He's not a walking advertisement for right. the Eagles. Because unless you know who he was, he's just somebody else standing next to the stands. Right. But the, but the, well, I had a couple of uh, different instances with Andy Reid, because I can remember one time one of our games, the Eagles were in town, but he had that Saturday off as far as his duties with the Eagles, and he came to our game. We were playing a team from down in Philadelphia. I guess 10, 11, 12 year old kids, right. I don't know which level it was. But at halftime, one of the kids from the opposing team came over to our sideline and he's standing between me and Andy Reid. I happen to be maybe 10 feet from where Andy happened right. to be standing. And the kid's in uniform and he's got two pieces of paper in his hand. And he's looking at me and he's looking at me, is that, is that, is that? I said, yes, that's, that's who you think it is. It's Mr. Reid. He says, would you think he would sign something for me? Said, sure. So I went over and I says, Andy, is this little fellow would like to have your autograph? So why sure? So Andy says, what's your name, son? He says, well, I, don't know if, I don't know the kid's name he put down there. So-and-so fly with the Eagles. He signed it Andy Reid and handed the paper back to the little boy. And he says, okay, this is fine. The little kid takes a couple of steps back and he's standing there and standing there. I says, well, you got your autograph. <laughs> what else do you need? Well, I figured he'd go back to his yeah, team, you know, right, be in sure. halftime. He says, I, I want to ask him something else. I said, well, what is it? I said, I have a piece of paper with something I want, I want to give to him. I said, okay, come on. I go back over to Andy. I said, the fellow has a, something he wants to give to you. He says, what's that? Well, the kid hands him a piece of paper, and there's a phone number on it, on this little piece of paper. He hands it to Andy Reid, and he says, uh, Mr. Reid, he says, uh, could you do me a favor? Andy says, well, sure, if I can. What is it? He says, could you give this piece of paper with this phone number to uh, your quarterback, McNabb, and have him call me? <laughs> and he reads, looking at me, and he's looking at the kid. He says, uh, wait a minute. He'll put him in the I'll see what I can do. And the kid says, okay, thank you. When he leaves, Andy turns around to me. He says, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> but the kid made an attempt at that to try to get Andy Reid to have Mr. McNabb call him on the phone. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I'm sure he has a lot of experiences like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So, understand the uh, Roseanne has given up a lot of her uh, a lot of her time uh, and shared it with uh, as a football widow. Yes. Well, well, between the years between my daughter and my wife, she's become a baseball and football <laughs> widow. I was in our building one afternoon or one evening actually, it was actually in the evening, and I had had equipment returns at the end of the season. They, right. they, they bring their, it's just the right. date that they bring their gear back to me. And Andy's Reed, Andy Reed's kid had not brought his gear back yet. So I was in there just getting ready to close up. And in the door comes Tammy Reed, Mrs. Reed, and she's got Spencer's gear to turn it in. And she's talking to me for a few minutes and while we were talking in the building, the horn's blowing out in the driveway. And she says, oh, he's just getting damn impatient. She says, oh, Andy, he's sitting out there. And she goes to the doorway and tells him, come on in here, come on in here, quit being impatient, get in here. <laughs> so we were talking for a while and Andy was talking to me. He's looking at the equipment cage that we have our gear stored in. He says, uh, Bobby, so you take care of all this? I says, yeah, pretty much. He says, you have help because I said, well, I just get help here really once in a while doing here things here and there. He says, you take care of all this? He says, yeah. Or I said, yeah. So how many kids uh, do you have to take care of? How much gear do you have in here? I says, well, I says, we could uh, suit up probably 175, 180 kids with what we have here. He says, and you will do this by yourself. I says, well, most, a lot of times, too many times by myself. <laughs> So he says, uh, so, so you know what I have down here at the vet, well, it was at the vet then because the yeah. Lincoln had not been yeah. built. He says, you know what I have down where I am? I said, well, with the payroll and the money you guys got, so I can imagine what you have. He says, well, he says, I have six people that are just clubhouse people that do nothing but cater to my players and people down yeah. there. And he says, as far as the field, you do the fields. I says, well, between what I do and what the township does, sometimes I do it, sometimes the township does it. He says, I have about 30 groundkeepers down there. <laughs> and he says, uh, then he got talking about the, something about my wife because uh, my wife is at that time was a, originally when I first met Andy, she was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Mm -hmm. And the first time I met Andy, we were talking, he mentioned my wife and I says, is she an Eagle fan? I says, no, I said, she's a Dallas cowboy fan he says well tell her andy reed said hello anyhow <laughs> okay <laughs> so she appreciated that and then didn't get to see andy every once in a while and didn't get to catch him at the games but we did not promote the fact that he was there because we tried to keep it low key he is a father trying to watch his kid play football right. we're not going to shove the eagles all over the place and have people interfere with him and bother him so we did try to keep it as low key as we could yeah. but andy was a very nice fellow yeah. Yeah, I think uh, he's well appreciated in the Philadelphia mm -hmm. area. He really uh, is uh, thought of as a square shooter, that's for sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, the um, tell us now what you've been doing since uh, uh, since you've been retired now, uh, and you're and you're uh, away from Conrail and, and uh, the railroad business. Well, I still do the football, and oh. I also umpire baseball oh. for the Upper Brain Baseball Association, which we're in the middle of that right now yeah. with tournaments. But that's equivalent to like a Little League or, or Babe Ruth. Uh, it's a youth-oriented thing. It's a 
similar to Little League. Mm -hmm. And also, as far as vacations, okay. we, wife and I, are, we are kind of cruise nuts. Uh -huh. Every year we do take a cruise someplace. We just came back uh, the first week of June. We were down in Bermuda. But the, we have had better trips because we go on the way down. We got caught in the middle of that hurricane. Right. So the first couple of days weren't very pretty because that ship, all it did was just bounce up and down, bounce up and down for all night, Sunday night, and all day Sunday. It was just up in the waves, down in the pocket, up in the waves, down in the pocket. So the first couple of days were kind of a waste. And uh, she came home with a terrible cold because the uh. ship was actually cold inside the ship. It was nice out on the decks, okay. but when you got inside, the air conditioning was just a little bit too much. So she's just recovering from the cold. cold. Last year, we went up to uh, through what they call the Alaska Passage, mm -hmm. along that strip that goes down through the west part of yeah. Canada, up through uh, Juneau, Ketchikan, Skagway, mm -hmm. and uh, well, not not up into the mainland. Right. But, we, but that we had to fly out to Seattle for that one. We mm -hmm. got the boat out of Seattle. That was a nice cruise. But, we try to take a cruise every year. That's our major vacation. Didn't get back to Kodiak Island, though. No, no, no. <laughs> you don't have no. any desire to get back to Kodiak Island? <laughs> well, I didn't mind it when I was up here. No. I'd go back there if I had a chance, yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, all right. I well. I wouldn't uh, just not go there because I had 19 months of it in the service. I mean, I wouldn't go just ignore it because I figured, well, I've already put time in here. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank you very much. Really appreciate you coming by and seeing us today and tell us about some of your experiences. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, I got the invitation. I enjoyed it. The uh, the times that you've uh, volunteered have really been uh, a real asset to the to uh, the township and the the kids will in the, will long remember it. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's these associations live on volunteerism. Mm -hmm. Volunteerism does have its rewards. I mean, sometimes it gets to be a little bit too much. It's too much work, and you figure, well, what the heck am I doing here? You know, yeah. but uh, you do get appreciated for sure. it. Sure, that's right. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks again. You're quite welcome. That's it for this edition of Remember When. If you'd like to make a suggestion or comment on this program, please use the following contact information. Thanks for watching. Until next time, and always remember when. Thank you.